0: Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Today I'm joined with Chris Gonzalez, who is the president of the Missional Training Center. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is Tyler Brondick, and thanks for tuning in to another episode. First time guests and listeners, Welcome aboard. Uh, we, you are in for a treat today. And also want to encourage you to first to tune into this episode, but also we have a big library of other guests and podcasts um, where I interview other authors, pastors, entrepreneurs, business people, athletes, musicians, among much more. Longtime listeners, you know all this stuff, and so let's jump right into today's conversation with Chris Gonzalez. We talk all things mission being missional um, today where you are in the 21st century whether it's at work whether you are mowing the lawn whether you are um, inside watching TV or there everything that we do we are being shaped and being formed into a story and so how do we see God's big story how do we find ourselves in the gospel story that is the task at hand and we dig into this training, which is called the Surge Network, which I personally have been a part of and is, um, is really thinking about, just as I mentioned, finding ourselves in God's big story, but also how we understand faith and work and how we can glorify God in all we do and love our neighbor as well. Well, without further ado, I want to turn it on over to... My conversation with Chris, he digs a little bit more into his personal background, experiences and um, skills that have led to himself now as the president of the Missional Training Center. Without further ado, here's my time with Chris.
1: Hey, thanks, it's good to be with you.
0: Absolutely. And so Chris, I know we're um, I, I know a little bit uh, I guess more about you than some folks know about you. So you're you know based in, in Arizona now. I'm in Massachusetts, yep. and um, you've been there for some time. But I know, if I'm not mistaken, you grew up in New Jersey or spent yeah, some yeah. time in Jersey. So um, very familiar with Jersey. What what part of Jersey are you from?
1: North Jersey. I uh, grew up in Upper Saddle River. My dad lived in Franklin Lakes for a long time, up in Bergen County. He worked in, uh, he fun story, he worked for NBC Sports back in the 80s and 90s, was a television sports director. So he worked at 30 Rock during the week. And then on the weekends, he would go around the country to different sporting events, and we'd go with him. And then, uh, yeah, so yeah. that's where I grew up.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I, well, I always think of New York as entertainment and media. And so, and it made its way there over to go. New Jersey, too. So very, very yep. cool um and so would love just to to dig in but you know i've been part of this surge training which i'd love to talk about um but maybe even maybe kind of providing a little bit more context before we zoom in um would love just to hear about some of your roots i know you've you were part of missio day and kind of how that ended up leading to where you are today with the the missional training center surge and and that that component of of your assignment now
1: yeah for sure i uh yeah, I grew up, like I said, in New Jersey. Parents got divorced, moved with my mom for junior high and high school in Memphis, Tennessee. So I got my first cross-cultural experience going from the Northeast to the Mid-South and, um, and then went to high school there. And we kind of went to a Methodist church, kind of but wasn't very involved and didn't mean very much to us to me. Uh, then mm-hmm. moved, decided just want to go across the country, and got accepted at Arizona State University, and came out here to ASU to have fun. And at, out here while I was in college, I became a Christian. So wow. um, got connected in a local local church, a mm-hmm. big college ministry, kind of a big non-denominational vanilla evangelical church type thing. And but got plugged in there, some really good discipleship relationships, and um, and was there for about 11 years and ended up going to seminary Mm -hmm. uh, here in Phoenix at Phoenix Seminary and and grew and then Mm -hmm. um, felt called to, to plant a church eventually. So, was leading the college ministry and then felt called to plant. And uh, it was back in the in the in the kind of the early to mid 2000s, and uh, everybody was kind of talking about emergent church and missional church and this, and we we're all just trying to figure all this stuff out. And uh, mm-hmm. we read a couple of Tim Keller articles before Tim Keller had written any books. He was this, was this weird, like this Presbyterian, old Presbyterian guy in, in New York. And we we're like, what? And we started reading some of his articles and it kind of opened our eyes to some different ways of seeing the gospel and understanding the mission of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was really influential in, in planting mm-hmm. the church. And then, Mm-hmm. Uh yeah kept kept learning growing from
0: there so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, awesome and I, I know from my story as well it wasn't I came to to faith in Christ in college through a through a campus ministry too uh and uh-huh. it was it, it was varsity type ministry and so uh-huh. yeah pretty you know non denominational evangelical um but I I will always say it was so funny because I came up from a, a liturgical I was pretty unchurched is why my mom is loosely affiliated with uh, the mainline UCC denomination, Um, a very kind of, you know, historic New England type denomination. Um, And it was very liturgical. And so (laughs) and then getting kind of immersed into this, it was almost like, you know, this culture shock of the the evangelical worship. And then I was like, is this, one of my first thoughts was like, is this a cult? And so it wasn't until really, I think, you know, started to make sense and have asked some big questions that, yeah, it was kind of a, Catalyzing moment, but also in college as well, and so yeah, I, I think it's I think it's really you know fascinating and a lot of it's just it's really cool how people are, get plugged in and get connected through these you know these different ministries and opportunities where kind of meeting people in their in their domain, and so I guess that's I, you've that's always been kind of part of your story as well, and so this kind of this this desire to plant to meet kind of perhaps unchurched people what are you kind of, what have you been seeing? You know, I obviously growing up in New Jersey. I come from the Northeast as well. So there's a certain ethos, I think in kind of Christendom um, in that area, but kind of walk me through what you've been seeing across the country and um, what you think some of the challenges are for, I guess the, you know, the, the American church as we, as we emerge into the, I guess, 2022 yeah, three, four, five, six, Yeah.
1: Wherever, wherever we are now,
0: um... right. You
1: know what? Really early on, I remember my buddy Kevin and I—we planted the church, we planted this church Missio together here. But before we had planted the church, we read—I know it was a lecture. We heard this audio, this lecture of Alan Hirsch. I don't know if you're familiar, listeners, be familiar with Alan Hirsch. He's an Australian missiologist, and mm. it was just some early stuff. And he had just said, basically, he's like, if you take a pie, like a a, a pizza pie, like chart, a pie chart. And you, and you say basically like all the churches are going for the piece of pie of people in their culture who are basically ready to go to church on Sunday. They're basically Christians, so they just need to go to church and repent, whatever. And he goes, but that's an ever increasingly smaller piece of the pie. And he said he said at the time, I'm in Australia, that's maybe 10% of the pie here. And, and Amer- mm-hmm. in, in Arizona at this time, 15, 20 years ago, it was like, eh, maybe that's still like 50% of the pie, let's say. Where you're at in New England, it's probably maybe even less. But he goes, the problem is, you, and he drew all these church buildings in this 10% piece of the pie, and that's always shrinking. And he said, what about all these other people who aren't, like, they're not basically just waiting for an invitation to go to church, and they don't have basically like a Christian worldview or a Christian narrative on things. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that really that really like stuck with us and messed with us. And so I remember going to the elders of the church that I was a college pastor at mm-hmm, that had been a mm-hmm. Christian at for a long time. I just said I want to plant a church in the same city, but I'm not trying to plant your church 2.0. Like we're we're wanting to plant a church that's intentionally going to try to reach people who are not just going to come in here on Sunday, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and who, who for for them like church can't just be a building and a 70 minute service to go to on Sunday. It's got to be of people who are out and living in the midst of them and, and living a different story. And so right. that and then this other quote by Leslie Newbegin, a, a missiologist who's had a, mm-hmm. a big impact on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But he just said um, uh, he basically said the only way like in an ever increasingly secular society, the only way that people are going to be able to under actually understand and comprehend the gospel is by a people who actually believe it and are living amongst them. Wow! And, and we just said, okay, we got to, we got to do this. So that's what for us, for like with the church, with Missio, what we really kind of give into is, is to say, we want to, we, we value Sundays and what we're doing on Sundays and we're not poo-pooing that at all. Um, I don't know if I've ever said poo-pooing, but I'll leave that there for your, your podcast. I said that for the first time.
0: I, uh, yeah, in my life. I don't there think i I probably won't edit it out either. So that's great.
1: But that's, that's never good. been said on this podcast either, right?
0: No. no.
1: Great. Okay. So I got a first, if nothing else on this interview, I've said that for the first time. Um, yeah. So we just, we planted around, but said, Hey, we want everybody to be involved in a, what we call missional communities right. and where those people are living life together and, but they're living life in front of and with and serving people in our, in our communities. So.
0: -hmm mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, and you know, obviously I've been impacted by college ministry and you were involved in college ministry, and um, obviously, I know you have a heart kind of for this emerging generation here. what What are some of the I've, we've done a, I've done some preliminary work with my church, but thinking about like the generational changes and like how, Like how faith has been passed along from generation to generation. Like, is there a gap, or like, what are some of the big things I think that you know can be learned on on each side of the equation? Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know how deep you've gotten into this, so just just a talking point. Curious.
1: Yeah, uh, a couple of things that have been uh, James K. A. Smith, Jamie Smith, and his book *How Not to Be Secular*, where he's taken Charles Taylor's stuff. Mm-hmm. On our secular age. I, did, I just remember him saying this one thing where he's like, basically, you know, 500 years ago, if you're six 600 years ago in Europe, everybody, when you grow up, you grow up from a kid to a teenager to an adult. And everybody, you know, is a Christian because you're in a Christian culture, a Christian tribe. Like, so everybody believes in God and is of the Christian baptized in the Christian faith and is Christian. Mm hmm. And if anybody's to ever be like, I don't believe in God, I don't think there's a God, they're a heretic. Like, they're the one who's the outsider, who's crazy, who's, mm-hmm. doesn't that doesn't make sense within the paradigm of our culture. Mm-hmm. But he said, today, if a kid grows, like a kid in, our, in in my city or in your city, grows up and is like, I believe in God, that kid is actually the cultural heretic. Like, that's the outlier. Correct. That's yeah. the, I'm a Christian, I think Jesus is the king of the world. Like, that's crazy talk. Right. And so, um, so that, and basically what Smith is saying is like, that doesn't mean we need to be scared, but it just means it changes something and it changes specifically the way that we see even like a a generation being just like being discipled. So we just, my oldest daughter just graduated high school. So we have three teens in the house right now. And, um, and what Smith said is like, as your kids are growing up, like, you should assume basically them being like, I don't know if I believe this is the true story of the world. I don't know mm-hmm. if I believe Christianity. They're mm-hmm. like they're being confronted all the time with all these other stories. That's and basically what he said. That was really he's like that's normal, right? And right. In, yeah. and then I want to take it even a step further. If you have a kid who's never asking those questions, who's just saying I'm I'm a Christian. I believe Christianity is the only way, and they never question that. They're not actually in. Gaged or being I want I not I wonder if their faith's authentic. I don't want to say that, but it's like are they really taking their are I actually want to ask that question, like are your kids taking it seriously? Is that next because yeah. this generation is growing up with so many stories around and um right. and the yeah. others like I didn't grow up like I basically grew up like yeah, our country's good. We're good people. Everybody like we're trying right. to be good, we're good, every and you trust authority it is like it's right. so different different these days so i was um sorry i'm rambling all over the place i just i was talking to somebody he was saying um, you know we talk about biblical authority like how did the bible has authority the bible is authority is authoritative oh is uh, the, sh- she's a student in our mtc class that she teaches in our MT- in our seminary and she teaches at a christian high school and she's she's saying to me last week she says i realize that I asked myself like when you think of authority, what do you think of? And all of them had negative things to say. like mm-hmm, negative mm-hmm. connotations around authority. So then when you say the Bible is authoritative, God is the authority. They have ne- that's not a good thing. That's an oppressive thing. Right. And so right. just realizing, like gosh, you have to, we have to not be afraid of that, not not say the Bible is authoritative. Uh, but like, how do we talk about it? We almost have to redefine authority that is not an oppressive thing. So, yeah,
0: no, it's g- good thoughts. And I was just, yeah, I'm in agreement and it's obviously growing up in New England and I think fo- mainly a lot around, it feels like it's around the coast, which maybe are seeing yeah. some of this wave, I think, or just this, this shit paradigm shift really. Um, and it's funny because a lot of my faith formation, you know, from my kind of lived experience is from immigrants. And so mainly it's folks who have, I'm in New England, Worcester, Boston, it's There's a high transience of international, whether they're coming for, you know, MIT, Harvard, BU, or resettling here. We just, uh, you know, I think in Worcester welcomed in like 700 different refugees. And so there's a large population of folks who are coming in who are, you know, who are actually very orthodox in their belief and hold very tight. to so like even the people who are Muslim are like, it's challenging, I feel like, some Christians because they're like, Wow, you're very orthodox in your belief, and there's this great piety. I don't know if that would be an appropriate word for, but like this devotion, right? Um, and it's interesting because uh, so my wife is that, was born in Brazil, and so she huh. she had kind of grew up in a she grew up in a Presbyterian Brazilian church, which is kind of like an American Pentecostal church, and so um, <laughs> just just in the expression, and so it's it's really funny because she's like. Uh, you know, come here, and they're in this different, different space where they're like, there is now this great Catholic Protestant divide, um, and so it's just, it's just, it's just very interesting of seeing how I mean, Christianity is a global, it's a global faith, and so just being confronted by that. But the reality is like, yeah, most I can count on my, I went to kind of a suburban outskirts, pretty, um, yeah, just suburban community, and I can count probably my hand how many people in the whole school are Christian you know and so it's like trying to reach more of my more of people who have been here for decades right whether you know is is kind of like the it's it's kind of you're kind of a minority if you're uh there as well and so it's just very it's very interesting um Mm -hmm. in um kind of some of the, the shifts that are happening but also how we're I think thinking about you know the I guess the impact of Christianity across the globe as well I, I, just one last thing and I'll shift is was thinking is, you know, was talking to my wife and she's like, yeah, you know, in the North of Brazil, there's actually a, a there's a large influence in, um, in voodoo worship. And so it's a challenge that's kind of placed. And this is uh, as a result, kind of of post slave trade, transatlantic slave trade that oh. a lot of the African slaves brought voodoo worship. Um, mm. And so it's like, but there's this sense of the spirituality that's like wow the the supernatural the the cosmos is much more real in these places whereas in New England i think we're we're really in this rationalistic enlightenment era of again science is king supreme um, so even mentoring, mentioning supernatural and kind of orienting ourselves to the work of the spirit or how, for positive or for negative is very like it's kind of alarming for people and they're like I don't, I don't know i don't know if we can we can't measure that and so um whereas i think we're seeing now across the globe of like really this this maybe this awakening perhaps of folks who are now thinking about wow there's actually like there is darkness out there right or there's evil out there and that we're we're not basically good people we're very fallen broken people as well and so Anyways, all that to say is that I've we'll started to think about this because of surge training and started to think about context and how context is so important and how we're doing our or how we're analyzing the stories that we're being formed by. Um, and so, would love just to kind of dig into just a high-level overview of surge and kind of what um, what what uh, what folks can expect if they're interested in surge training, because I you know would encourage it for listeners as well.
1: Yeah, we, we started about 14 years ago when we were planning our church and some other... Yeah. Uh, There's there a few of our church... A few of my friends, we we're all planning churches or pastoring churches, and we said, gosh, we need to get... We need to get a, a, a kind of a core foundation, theological foundation into our people, mm-hmm. and we can probably do this better together than just on our own, but we're all responsible for our own churches and do this, and so that's where search started. And ba- it, the, the way I put it is, basically we want to say hey, the, the gospel, a lot of us think of the gospel as, like, ideas. It's these ideas, I'm a terrible person, uh, ideas about who God is. I have to believe the right ideas about God. Right. And what we wanted to say is that what Serge is trying to do at the core is to say, hey, mm-hmm. at the at its essence, the gospel means good news of events. So it's like the gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God has come in the person and work of Jesus. Right. And so if you have the gospel of the kingdom, that necessarily puts you in a story, that it's a story because kingdom is pointing to the end of the end of history. Like this is where all of history is supposed to be going. And it points you also back to creation. So it puts you in the story from creation, rebellion, what God is doing throughout all of Israel with the Old Testament. Culminating in Christ, his his life, his death, his resurrection, sending the church out, and then until mm-hmm. when Jesus finally returns. Mm-hmm. And so what Serge is trying to do is to say, that is the true story of the whole world. Like that's the story that we live in. But mm-hmm. and, and it's a story that we find a place in. We have a role to play in that story. And so we want you to know that story and not just Bible survey kind of note, but realize this is the story of mm-hmm. the this is the true story of the whole world. Right. But then to also to recognize, like you're saying, whether it's kind of a a northern Brazil voodoo narrative or a New England secular, humanistic, global, capitalistic story. That's a lot of big words. But just to say, like, whatever, there's all these other stories that are vying for our attention, not just vying for our attention, but that we live in, we live out of and we think are actually the true story of the world. Right. And so Serge is trying to say, hey, if we're going to be faithful followers of Jesus and call other people into the gospel, into the story to take up their role in God's story, we need to know the true story. We need to be aware of what the other stories are and how do we be formed into the true story and remind ourselves over and over uh, of that. So mm-hmm. that's in essence what yeah, we're trying yeah. to do with surge. I call it slow drip discipleship. It's long. It's a long like it's four, eight week quarters. It goes kind of a whole school year, but it's basically just four you know, a whole year right. of circling around some of these same big ideas that I've been circling around them for 15 years and feel like I'm starting, I'm starting to get it. So it's like, we need to, we need to circle around this stuff yeah. a lot. In essence, I know like this is the podcast. It's about discipleship. What does it mean to be a learner? That's what I would say. Like discipleship at the end is like, how do you by the power of the spirit, take up your role faithfully in the story and right. play your role in the story. Cause it's God's story. It's God's mission, what he's doing, but all throughout the story, whether it's Adam and Eve or Israel, yeah. Jesus as is the one true faithful Israelite, mm-hmm, and then the mm-hmm. church, he's using a people. and so that's what it is for us is how do we take up our role in that story?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I, I, I love that. And so just to kind of sneak in, right so we have the God's big story, seeing where, where we are, right in the kind of that church. so mm-hmm. in the six acts, which um, yeah, as you as you named. And then I think what was really fascinating for me, and you mentioned it is like this we think of you know this these this really this idea focus, whereas like the practices and the formation of Jesus is is that, and it's more. Um, so can you kind of take us in into like the how that the importance of that and how that is maybe different than how we've been doing things, or maybe just a a a way for us to start thinking in in that way um, right now? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's one thing from the beginning. We said, hey, we don't want this just to be content download. Like we're not just trying to download right. information to people. Again, to reference James, Jamie Smith, we're not just heads on sticks, but we're embodied and fleshed, right. full, holistic human beings. And so one, the way that with Surge, what we're trying to do is it's a, it's a model of learning. It's an information action reflection model. of. A, so we want to give you information. That's part of it. But then we want you to act on it. And then how do we reflect? And so um, a couple of things, one thing we do is we, we, we in these, one, we call them surge tables. Like we sit together at a table around food or drink and we meet in a regular rhythm where we sit together with each other because that really matters. And we do that over the eight months. And so it's not a surge study, it's not a surge um, lecture, but it's a surge table where right. you're sitting yeah. with the people and your, and your table together. And then the other thing that we use is we call it the blessed rhythms, Bless, listen, eat, speak, and Sabbath. And so I tell, I tell surge table leaders, Hey, the blessed rhythms need to be a part of a regular part of your table. And that we want people not just getting the content, but saying, how are we, how are you living these rhythms out? And they're not just a thing that I go and try to do, but it's like, Hey, as a follower of Jesus, as I'm walking with Jesus in his mission, living a life, you know, of, the B-L-E-S-S, bless. Uh, how am I blessing others in word, gift, or deed? Mm-hmm. Uh, listen. How am I listening to God? How am I listening to others, to their stories, to their, their hurts, to their—what their, their what are their right. needs? Right. Um, e, for eat. How do I—who am I sharing meals with? Speak. How am I speaking the good news of the kingdom to other people? And then Sabbath. Mm-hmm. How am I resting? Am I taking time to refill, to re, reestablish myself, to, to find rest in God and rest with other people? Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. make those— those are the kinds of the questions that um, that we have people ask that we have people not just ask, but we have people kind of work out as they're going through their church table.
0: Right. Right. No, it's good. So bless, listen, eat, speak and Sabbath. Yep. And so that's the that's the rhythm. And I, I again, I think it's gathering around tables, seeing how important food and the banquet hall was for the way of Jesus, I think is really encouraging um, for our busy, fast don't have time for lunch lives
1: yeah like i could and this is this is where you see so like i could tell you like i could do a lecture on uh hospitality and uh the image of god and and i could give you great content on everybody is creating the image of god even people that are different than you, and you'd like nod your head like yeah i get mm. it i know everybody's creating the image of god but if I give you homework in your search table, or as like, is this part of your discipleship is like, Hey, Tyler, I need you to share a meal this week with someone who's different than you. Right. You can define how you want that to be, but you need to share a meal with someone different from you. Well, you go do that. Now we get to meet a week later we talk about that and right. we get to like, Hey, tell me what was it like? How did, what was different? How did you notice your differences? As we start talking now, mm-hmm. we're actually, Hey, let's, what does that—how do you actually not believe—how how are you challenged to believe that person mm-hmm, actually heirs mm-hmm, the image of God? Now we're having—now we're actually having real conversation, and this is—it feels like real discipleship around some of those things. Or even to say, like, hey, I didn't, I didn't share a meal with anybody different than me. Oh, Tyler, that's—hey, you're not shunned, you're not—no right, shame, but right. like, hey— why do you think that is? Like, what are you not believing about the image of God? What are you not believing about hospitality that you're just sharing all your meals either by yourself or with people just like you? True. You're like, true. Gosh, that's yeah. let's let's talk about this.
0: So, right. No, great great points, and I and I think that right assumes that there's this well, perhaps moves a needle on thinking that our faith is not only on Sundays. And again, we, we you referenced this earlier, but I do think there's a lot, you know our faith is integrated into our monday through saturday and we bring out we are embodied people and so we bring our our worldview we bring our faith we bring our beliefs our practices into our daily lives and i think what was really encouraging to it another component of kind of what you've been working on is thinking about the workplace um and it's a kind of a maybe a i think typically we think of nine to five workplace but from my understanding there's also this this other workplace that's like work in general like using your hands so whether you're cooking or you're at home um so can you kind of just maybe walk us a little bit into yeah. the importance of thinking about that as we're yeah as uh i think things are changing and we're thinking about maybe fresh fresh weight or not even fresh it's just coming back to ancient practices really
1: yeah, the simplest way I put it in our, our secular story, the story that most of us, I mean, this is the water that we live in, we swim in, whether we believe it or not. But our, our secular Western story, work is a necessary evil. So it's it's a thing that I do because I have to to earn money or to establish a, a reputation for myself to get to get my identity from, right. but it's, it's basically, it's a, it's a utilitarian. And so I go to work to, to make money, to make myself feel better, to do something like something for me. And, um, and the goal and, and, and in some sense, the goal is retirement to where you don't have to work right. anymore. Right. If you come out of that, but that's a different that's a different story, and that is the story of our culture. So we need to acknowledge that. But if you start with the biblical story, so you start in creation, and and not just with with work as a job like you said, but why are human beings here? God created them in in His image, male and female. He created them, and then it says it's mm-hmm. like there's a cultural mandate. There's a mm. the re, image of God has something to do with. As God creates, they create. As God, God is the ultimate creator, and he puts the humans there to, to and he puts them in a garden, and he says, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. Um, Craig Beale says, if the, if the garden is a cultivated jungle, and ever-increasing concentric circles are supposed to to work until the whole earth reflects God's glory mm-hmm. as that garden or garden city when we see mm-hmm. it in, in, in the end. But mm-hmm. that then, if you start thinking about the things that you do in terms of that, then then now I start thinking, okay, when I'm, when I wake up in the morning and making an egg scramble for my son, I'm not just doing this because my 15 year old son likes when I make him breakfast in the morning and he likes if I make, but it's like, no, this is actually an act of worship. This is, this is what I'm created here to do to care for, to create. And, and when I make, I want to make it so that it tastes really good to him. And when I, um, yeah, what are the other, when I'm mowing my lawn, I'm not just making sure I don't get citation from my HOA or my neighbors or or whatever, but it's like, no, this is a piece of God's creation that I have to cultivate, to care for, and so it Mm -hmm. it brings, kind of brings meaning into all of, all of the things that we do with our hands, into our jobs, how, when you start thinking, instead of your job as, hey, what do I do to get a bonus or to, to make money to get a to get a promotion or to go to another place. But if you start thinking in terms of this is an opportunity I have to love my neighbor, mm. like how yeah. is my job an opportunity? Maybe it's to love my neighbor through the, the service that I render to other people. Maybe it's who, how do how am I loving my neighbor who is my boss or the, the multinational corporation that I work for, but they're yeah. my neighbor. So I'm caring for them. How right. am I, and you start, yeah, how can right. I best love my neighbor through what I'm doing? And how is this a part of caring for God's creation and cultivating God's creation? Mm-hmm. You end yeah. up in you, – you just end up in a different place than if it's a it's – a, it's a thing i got to do. It's a necessary evil until I can retire. Right, right. fills it with meaning, and you get a whole uh, – my friend Jim, who wrote one of the books we used for search, he wrote yeah. uh, um, uh, Symphony of Mission. And Jim just talks about uh, how a janitor – he knows a janitor – instead of like oh i gotta go clean the bathrooms i clean toilets right. and i have like the low the the low job on the totem pole because i'm the janitor at the corporation but instead if you if you see it as i'm doing uh microbiological warfare on on the, the 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 you know the bio the uh the bad things that right, are right. on the toilets i'm cleaning right. them off so that they won't attack other people tomorrow when they come to use sure. this toilet and it it just it's creative, but it fills it with meaning, and you you do your job as a janitor in a different way when you see it that way.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a I think it's and it's an it, and I think it, what it does is it honors your giftings and it honors what your God has equipped you or has called or assigned you to do. Um, yeah. That I, I and I think yeah I mean I think we tend to right we view certain professions or certain work as more holy than others and I think it's understanding kind of our the bride of Christ as well in our whether it's again you're in the you're serving at church or you're serving your house serving your family um you're serving your son pb and you know pb and jelly sandwich or whatever that might be and I just think it's but I what I also think it does is it it appreciates the ordinary moments as well as part of God's creation um and I think we we emphasize or certainly live in a story that prefers the 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 one big event or the big moment um and oftentimes can forget that the road a kind of of <laughs> the long kind of way of obedience uh i think peterson had a book it was like the the on discipleship the long, the long, long obedience, obedience in the, in the same, same direction. direction
1: that's right
0: yeah and so like which i think i think more and more i mean i think it's just it's it's crucial to to following jesus um And so anyways, so we could chat more about this, but, um, love some of the the things we do as well. There's a a carrot cake game, which I won't get into, but perhaps is a, is a healthy cliffhanger for folks listening. Um, but it's really fun and just, I think taps into this, like, holy curiosity that we can have, um, while also just being the hands and feet. Um, and so leave it at that. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, Wanted to. I guess the other question is, how does Surge, how does what you do connect with the missional training center and seminaries? How do, how do you kind of see yourselves as part of the, you know, some people might already have their discipleship program they're doing at church or might be in seminary. Can you kind of walk us through Surge, missional training center, how that all kind of fits in the bigger ecosystem?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, Surge, started as this network of local churches. So it's this kind of multi-denominational network here in phoenix in arizona and uh and then and we started the surge school which is the nine-month leadership training thing that we do which was historically has been mostly just here in phoenix there's been some other groups of churches in other cities vancouver uh and hungary and brazil and some other uh, yeah. denver did it for a while um, and so some other cities but really in the last couple of years we've said okay how do we have other churches and other cities be able to to do search school. And so we've had some other churches, other cities come online to be able to do search kind of remotely from mm. from where they're at. But that's, um, yeah, it's this nine-month leadership training thing that we do, which right. has been really good. And then the Mitchell Training Center is here. Uh, essentially, we said, what is seminary? as as more and more seminaries are closing their residential or struggling or going fully online mm-hmm. we just said gosh mm-hmm. we need leaders trained with this same theological vision here at, for our churches here in phoenix and we said we don't right. feel like we can train pastors and leaders for the church just online and so we said we thought instead of uh theological education is struggle is kind of trying to figure out what it's doing and, and how we're doing yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people are going kind of hyper online. And so we thought we're going to go hyper local. And so uh, we do, oh. I'm here at the, and uh, Mike Goheen is our professor. He wrote book, drama, scripture, truth to the whole world, several others, but uh, he has a house here uh, that he lives in part-time and I use it as my office when he's not here, like right now to the airport to go to Vancouver this morning, but oh, uh, nice. I use it as my office. And, but when he's here during the school year, Uh, we meet as a cohort of kind of 12 to 20 students in his living room. And so we share a meal together and uh, he does some of the teaching. We have other faculty come and do some of the teaching and we do an MA and an MA and a 48 hour MA in missional theology, partnered with Covenant Seminary in St. Mm -hmm. Louis to do that Mm -hmm. uh, accredited degree. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so Uh just, um, yeah, it's pretty local for here in Arizona, but also asking questions of, Um, Hey, how do we help serve other? I know there's other people in other places who are trying to figure out how do I do theological education? um, Yeah. Yeah. How do we do it with hospitality and locality uh, and and still make it rigorous and robust? I know there was, I actually just read this article uh, from uh, Kirsten Sanders. uh, She's in your neck of the woods at, she was an adjunct at uh, Gordon Conwell for a long time. She just wrote an article in Christianity Today basically, and I know she's working on, I've had some conversations with her working on how do we do theological education around my kitchen table? Because it's gotta be, it's gotta be local like that. Right, so right. yeah, so I know a lot of people are wrestling with these things and trying to figure it out. So,
0: yeah, no, it makes sense. We're, I just actually heard, I think a lot, two weeks ago, Gordon Conwell has selling their, yep. their, yeah, very large campus and mm-hmm. kind of Relocating into Boston and kind of perhaps decentralizing into a few smaller, more local, kind of community respective kind of, um, yeah, offices or, you know, learning centers. Um, because, and partially because enrollment is half of what it was. I think they used to have 1,200 full time uh, enrollees at the, the kind of flagship campus, but now down to a little bit over 600 from what I was looking at. Um, which is kind of you know it's concerning but also it's just I think there's different causes right people are um, may not see the value of it anymore people are you know the cost of living and priorities is potentially putting it farther down the totem pole local churches are offering more in-house type resources these networks are popping up as well and so I think this is really interesting space to be in so it's encouraging to you know to see that you're not alone not alone in this either yeah. and that there is people but also there's this like open it's like kind of the wild west in a sense because it's yep. like you know who knows where this is gonna lead. Yeah,
1: there's a, there's an opportunity for disrupt for disruption because the the status quo is not I mean from you know Fuller had some issues in trying to consolidate and there was a big thing on uh, Trinity Ted's and Chicago and now right and so it's just people know like it's not something's changing and so we need to we need to think outside the box and so i love what what gordon conwell is doing and trying to how do we be go into the city how do we become more hyper local how do we yeah so got to try some different things Mm -hmm. but because we still need because theological education still needs to happen and it needs to happen there's something about the face-to-face in uh reality that's what uh sanders was was writing in her thing but that that's still matters so
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well chris it has been a been a joy and a privilege honor having you on and so thanks for sharing some of your time and a little bit about what you're doing but you know i know we could chat for far longer so would encourage folks to 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 get plugged in to some of the um resources that you have mentioned or just to pe- peek around so where can we find you and stay up to yeah. date kind of with the the, yeah, the new surge, waters uh,
1: sur- the, the surge network surge network.com uh, missional Training Center, MissionalTraining.org, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, yeah, so and feel free to Chris at MissionalTraining.org, feel free to reach out.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Chris. And
1: uh, yeah, thanks so much. It's a, it's a it's an honor to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler.